Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do you bleed green? Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> This is Birds 365, hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Here we go, here we go. Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50 plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack. And join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go! Let's go! Go! And a good Tuesday morning, Eagles fans, as we start the rest of the year uh, during the offseason for the Philadelphia Eagles, because we are now more than 24 hours removed from the Eagles' defeat at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs. Is the pain getting any easier for you? Sometimes it does. I'm not sure that that's the case here today. Uh, This is Birds 365. I'm Jody McDonald. John McMullen is winging his way back from the West Coast on a uh, late-night red-eye flight. Uh, so in his stead today, our producer and contributor, Tone DeShields, jumps in with me. Uh, Tone, uh, any less pain today because you're now more than 24 hours <laughs> I mean, uh, Jody, I'll admit, um, losing a Super Bowl is always painful, but I definitely feel a lot better about it because um, even though it was a loss and it was a loss they deserved, the defense did not show up. Was it a loss Jalen Hurts didn't deserve? I don't think so. Um, but in that loss, there were some things that I took from it. And what I took from it is, and this is how I feel, this is my humble opinion, and I stand on it. I personally believe what I learned from this game, even in the loss, Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback in the NFC, and he's a top five quarterback in this NFL. If he's not top five, he's right there. Um, there are some other guys who have accomplished more than him. He had a top five year, unquestionably. The second best year, Mahomes was the MVP. He was the runner-up, as he should have been. Mm-hmm. Does that vault him past a guy like Joe Burrow? I'm no. not sure that that's the case. Josh Allen? Uh, no. I mean, he, to your point, Jody, Josh Allen has never won a conference championship, never been to a Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts has. Um, if, 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 we're t- if we're talking about accomplishments, 
No, that's what we have to talk about is accomplishments. Uh, but Allen does have a couple of high-level superior years under his belt. Jalen's got one. Fair enough. That's fair. Uh, now, Jalen's one year, his team went further than Josh Allen's team ever has. You're right about that. Does that put him ahead of a guy like Josh Allen, who's got several good uh, all-pro level type years? Um, that's a that's a good, fun debate. Right. Uh, he's certainly in 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 the uh, like I said, if he's not five, he's six. We're 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 probably uh, mincing words here, uh, but you're right in that he is probably the number one quarterback in the NFC, and that uh, unfortunately raises one of the ugly realities of what transpired on Sunday because uh, we prepared for this game, knew it was going to be the Chiefs and the Eagles for two weeks. And what the Eagle naysayers were saying, and it unfortunately kind of proved out to be true, the Eagles really did not face a top-flight quarterback all year long. Their 17 regular season games, their two playoff games, the best quarterback they faced was probably Dak Prescott. And oh, by the way, Dak hung a 40 spot on him in the one game that he played against the Eagles this year. So the Eagles defense, which was number two overall in the NFL and number one against the pass may have benefited from having played a schedule that didn't test them against the top quarterbacks. And I'll rattle off those four AFC names for you. Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Burrow, those are the top four guys in the a AFC. And I'll tell you, and this will get some people rolling their eyes, a healthy Tua Tungavaloa was having a phenomenal year, but had the many different issues that he had with concussions and the like. Uh, they didn't face a healthy Tua or a Herbert or a Burrow or an Allen and not a Mahomes until the Super Bowl. And we saw what Patrick Mahomes did in the Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, you're right, Tom, when you, you point to defense and go, the defense was, I, I won't go no-show, but they were a little undressed on Super Bowl Sunday, and maybe they're not as good as we all thought they were because they were never put to a uh, superior test until they got to the Super Bowl. I may have to push back as far as them being a no-show, uh, but I do agree with you. They they didn't face a top-tier quarterback all year. Um, I was talking about this on Good Morning Energy East this morning. Um, the best quarterbacks they faced – this season were Dak Prescott, and this is in no particular order, um, but Dak Prescott, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Jared Goff, uh, Kirk Cousins, Kyler Murray. You know what I mean? Those are – Aaron Rodgers had a down year, but still, if you look at his numbers, pr pretty still good. Those numbers are good for anyone else but him. But Aaron Rodgers, the team, had a down year. Dak Prescott um, Turned the ball over tremendously all year. Was it was in my opinion was relatively inconsistent, especially in, um, once he got into the playoffs. Um, but overall, I mean, how, how much stock am I putting into Kyler Murray at this point in his career? I'm, I'm just I'm I'm starting to not see it with Kyler Murray. Kirk Cousins, we already know we already know what his deal is prime time. He's allergic to it. Um, Jared Goff, I think Jared Goff had a sneaky good year this year. Um, but again, those quarterbacks don't compare to anything in the AFC, like you said. Um, but when it comes to that defense in the playoffs. About that defense in the Super Bowl, I don't think they showed up at all, Jody. Because if you ask me, you want to know what the Philadelphia Eagles defense was? Keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, and that was the offense. So I can't really give the defense but so much credit uh, about doing anything. 
um, to limit Patrick Mahomes. It was all offense, sustaining drives, keeping him off the field. Uh, but that was just my perspective. And, oh, by the way, uh, you're right, uh, Aaron Rodgers did not have a good statistical year. We still think he's a talented quarterback. Um, John and I debate this from time to time, so I need your opinion on it. I, I said this many times here on Birds 365 and everywhere else I do shows. Quarterback rate, passer rating is the worst way to decipher who is the best quarterback on any given year except for every other one. It, 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 there is no perfect way to rate or, or figure out who is the best quarterback. You want to go, I test worked for me. Okay. If, if you believe that you're that good a football evaluator, uh, all right, fine. But I'm, I'm trying to find a analytic, a statistic you can use to uh, base your judgment on. I think quarterback rating is the best. It's not perfect. It's imperfect for sure but it's better than every other way we have of statistically analyzing who the best quarterbacks in a given year were. When you say quarterback rating, are you talking about the ESPN stat or, or passer, passer rating? rating? Passer rating, okay. Passer rating. Okay, gotcha. Um, so I'll, I'll run down, because I don't trust ESPN. With Neither me, do I. There's, <laughs> there's some subjectivity in there, and they've proven their subjectivity, even with computer rankings, uh, just foggle one's mind. Um, so here are the top-rated quarterbacks in the NFL via passer rating this year. Tua Tungavaloa, they didn't play him. Patrick Mahomes, oh, they played him. It didn't go well in the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo, they didn't play him. Uh, Jalen Hurts was fourth. Geno Smith, oh, that would have been nice if they had gotten tested by Geno during the year. They didn't play Geno Smith. Uh, Joe Burrow, Jared Goff, they did play, as you mentioned, at a good sneaky under-the-radar type year. 35 against the Eagles? Did he put up a 30 spot? What what uh, was the score of the Eagles Lions first week of the season? That was well, that score was 38-35. You're absolutely right. correct. So they didn't quite shut Jared Goff down in the one game they played against him. Um Josh Allen they didn't play. Andy Dalton, believe it or not, was number 9 and Andy Dalton stuck one of the very few losses the Eagles had this year on them. Trevor Lawrence, they did beat. He was number 11. Justin Herbert, 12. Daniel Jones, 13. Kirk Cousins, 14. Dak Prescott, 15. There's where the Eagles' uh, schedule lies. Uh, 13, Daniel Jones, 14. Kirk Cousins, 15. Dak Prescott. Oh, they played all those guys and beat uh, They beat Daniel Jones three times or twice because he did sit the one game, the last one in the regular season. But of the top 10, didn't face anybody. Until yeah. we got to the Super Bowl and Patrick Mahomes was sitting there. And oh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes, I got into a debate on, on WIP last night with a guy who was ready to anoint Patrick Mahomes and make him the face of the NFL, which he is, which he was before that game was played. And if the game goes the other way and the Eagles win 38-35, guess what? Patrick Mahomes is still the face of the National Football League now with Tom Brady walking away. I don't believe what he did, although he got the MVP award, because I guess a quarterback has to get it, and Jalen Hurts didn't win. Jalen Hurts was the best quarterback on the field on Sunday night, but Patrick Mahomes won the game, so that's why he got the MVP. I I don't think that was the game that put him over the top and made him the, the face of the National Football League. He was already there. Uh, you knew hmm. Brady was walking away. It, it, the, the torch had already been passed to Patrick Mahomes. It wasn't passed because of what he did on Sunday night. He was Mahomes-like through a very high completion percentage. But, Tone, 
you could have thrown two of those touchdown passes inside the five yard line with the defensive <sighs> breakdowns that the Eagles had. So am I going to put uh, in just this one particular game, Patrick Mahomes on his pedestal because he was that great? No, he threw for under 200 yards and he threw two touchdown passes out of the three he had that you or I could have thrown. I actually believe this was his easiest Super Bowl win because of the fact that he only had to play 28 minutes worth of football and they were extremely efficient. Uh, like you said, two of those touchdowns, wide open, wide open. And let's let's be frank about this. He was gifted seven points because of the, because of the turnover by Jalen Hurts. And then special teams got them down to the five-yard line. So he really didn't have to do more than what was necessary. And I respect that. He was efficient. You know, they took advantage of every minute of those 28 minutes they had. 38 points in 28 minutes. I got to respect the game, Jody. They were efficient. But like you said, you could have threw that ball, those, some of those passes. I could have thrown some of those passes. And that's why I feel like the defense, they just completely – imploded they looked confused they looked flabbergasted but like you said i think the i think the pass rating is a good barometer at least right now because like you said unless you're just some football guru and you understand mechanics that that well uh, i think passer rating is pretty fair uh and you're right the eagles haven't they, they weren't tested all year they weren't really tested from a quarterback perspective had you know did they come across some good defenses sure yeah but they weren't – offense. offensive scoring wasn't the issue. The offense had no problem scoring. You can make an argument, well, maybe the Eagles just ran out of time in that game, you know, because I felt like they were coming. But, um, you know, we can't, you know, play revisionist history. The bottom line is they lost the game, and the Eagles' defense, they're going to look a lot different um, coming from this season going into the next. Yeah, I never buy into the, oh, they ran out of time line of logic because – Everyone knew it was going to be 60 minutes before it started, right, Tom? They, didn't, is, they don't change it for the Super Bowl. They don't extend it. They don't cut it. Oh, Rihanna's going to go 34 minutes with her performance, so he got to right. shorten the game. No, 60 minutes. They're all 60 minutes. So you know it's 60 minutes, and you must play and coach and get done what you have to get done accordingly. So I just never buy it. Oh, they ran out of time. Not enough time. If there had been, there's never another two minutes added. They don't do that unless, of course, it goes to overtime, which, oh, I was rooting so bad for because I had a couple of prop bets, including Jalen Hurts over 50 and a half yards, which I felt very strongly about, even tweeted that out before the game started. I went further. I, I had him over 75 yards at added value. I had him over 100. I put a couple shekels down on Jalen running over 100. And he stalled out at 70. I, I, I needed overtime for a couple more Jalen Hurts runs. And that the, the best run, maybe the best run he had all game, doesn't even count. You don't get credit yards-wise for a two-point conversion. So that uh, still would have only gotten him to 72, and I needed to Should they start 70. doing that, Jody? Should they start counting those in, in, in the conversions, the yards? I'm curious. I, I've never thought about it until now. It's, it's legit. It's a legit question. Maybe it's a separate category. There are so many stupid statistics, depending on what uh, website you go to, whatever you want to use as your research tool. Why can't you add what you do on a two-point conversion? We all know it. It's it's in the box score, but it's not in the other running stats pages where you go and look. It was a truly heroic effort to drag two tacklers into the end zone, and all it shows up on the, the box score is two-point conversion. Which, oh, by the way, 
I, I don't, uh, Tony, I know you well enough down the line, but you and I don't know each other uh, uh, away from uh, our show here on Birds 365. Are you a gambling guy? Nah, not really. I've tried. I didn't it, think um, so. It's not, yeah, not, not really my thing. My brother is though. He's always texting me, "Hey, uh, did you hear anything about so and so?" I'm like, "Look, I don't work for, I don't work but for the." Wants NFL. a little inside information. <laughs> good on him. I, I, I appreciate the effort. He's trying to get good. I'm mad at it. I'm not mad at it. Exactly. Um, I had never heard of this before. That um, exchanging texts with my daughter, who yes, likes to bet on football. She's got a. Uh, uh, an account and she's actually pretty good or she's well out of the game uh, from when she started a couple of years ago. She told me she hit an octopus. Had you ever heard that before? Never. I'd never heard it before. She, uh, I asked her. Was, was, was that you, an eight leg parlay? Not an eight leg, but you're right. You're, 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 you're playing in the right direction. Eight. It's for eight points scored. If a player scores a touchdown and then also is the guy who scores on a two-point conversion immediately thereafter. It's called an octopus. And I had never heard that before. My daughter tells me to, to exchange Texas. Uh, I used my $5 free bet on an octopus, and I hit for $70. So it was 13 to 1 that an octopus would happen in the game. And that's exactly what Jalen Hurts did. He scored the touchdown, and then he got the two-point conversion thereafter. The first ever octopus in the Super Bowl since they re-added two-point conversions years ago. Jalen's the first one to ever do it. I'd never even heard of it, let alone know that you could bet on it in the Super Bowl. I don't think I would have anyway. But my daughter didn't. Sure enough, she hit it. And that's why she ended up making make, make money on the Super Bowl that day. Because she hit Jalen Hurts' octopus. But uh, you li- <laughs> live and learn, even at my age, uh, watching my 50... I was alive for the first two AFL-NFL championship games. They didn't call it the Super Bowl until the third Super Bowl. Um, But I was just a wee lad, and I honestly, all apologies to you Packer fans out there. I don't remember the Packers beating the Chiefs or the uh, uh, Raiders the first two. I do remember the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets against the Colts in (laughs) Super Bowl three which was actually Super Bowl one. It was the first time they ever called it the Super Bowl, but they went back and in in past sequence, renamed the first two championship really games. Really quickly, I, Joe, I got a, got a question for but I noticed the, this is the Eagle show, but for the next 30 seconds, I need this to be Jets 365. Sure. Me personally, I think the way the Jets are looking right now mm-hmm. from a personnel standpoint, I think they're a quarterback away from challenging the Bills. What do you think about that? There, uh, I see uh, Vegas has come out with uh, betting lines, where you rank, power ratings. I just saw ESPNs. I stopped at the first couple because the Eagles going into next year, Chiefs are number one, Eagles are number two, as they should be. Cowboys were number six. I was interested to see where they were. See, this is why ESPN is, is kind of off the charts for me. Dallas was ahead of San Francisco all year long. Even after San Francisco beat Dallas in the playoffs, in their computer rankings, they still had Dallas ahead of San Francisco. How does that make any sense whatsoever? So I just checked their power rankings going forward for next year. I go, oh, Dallas will be ahead of San Francisco. They're not. San Francisco is three. They're right behind Eagles, and, and the Cowboys came in at number six. Um, 
I got to check and see where the Jets are. I saw a couple gambling uh, outlets yesterday listing the prices if you want to bet them to win the championship. Jets are like 12th overall in football, which is borderline top three. They haven't been above 500 in a dog's age. So at at least the gambling uh, outlets out there believe Jets are going to get a quarterback. Maybe it's Aaron Rodgers. And if they do, yeah, all of a sudden they're they're competitive uh, next year. The NF the AFC East will be as hard a division as there is in football next year if they go out and get themselves a quarterback. Uh, cross cross my fingers that that's the case. I'll tell you one thing for sure. No, it's not Zach Wilson. Uh, that's something <laughs> Eagle fans don't have to worry a, a little bit because they've got their Jalen Hurts to go forward with. All right, we're going forward here on Birds 365. Tony Shields in for uh, Johnny Mac today. We got a pair of GMs joining us. And when I say GMs, I'm not talking general managers. Howie Roseman is not going to be on the show today. Uh, We've never been able to wrangle Howie. Don't hold your breath waiting for Howie to show up here on Birds 365. But you know who is going to show up? That would be one Jeff Mosher. He's going to join us coming up. In the next five minutes, Inside the Birds, both podcast and website. And then a little bit later, we'll go national on you, old school on you. Gary Myers, one of the best NFL writers, reporters, Hall of Fame selector. He's going to join us in hour number two. But up next, the man, Mosh, is going to join us. Jeff Mosher, next here on Birds 365. The greatest fans on earth. It's a bold statement. But would you expect anything less from Philadelphia? 58 years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Go for the beers, go for the cheers, go for the hit and the hits. Go for the scene, go for the screens, go for the gallery, go for the win, go to ocean. that taxes are just part of life. It's true during our working years, but also in retirement. But what you might not know is up to 85% of your Social Security benefits might be taxed. Our team at Thrive Financial has helped retire thousands of people across the Delaware Valley by asking questions they never knew they needed to ask, including how their Social Security benefits might be taxed. It's time to be proactive on taxes. Get your Thrive Retirement Tax Playbook today. Jeff D'Ambrosio doesn't need a special event to appreciate his customers. Jeff shows his appreciation to them every day of the year. Jeff makes sure to stock more new inventory than anyone and guarantees prices and payments that nobody can beat. There are so many reasons that thousands of customers know Jeff is the easy, friendly place to do business. More for their trades. No judgment zone for credit issues. The best, most reliable service department in the country. That's why I like Jeff, and I know you will too. Jeff will satisfy you every day. Jeff D'Ambrosio, Destination Downingtown, Owner Appreciation Event. Post game show with Seth Joyner. I knew that they had a running game. Derek Gunn. He has put in the effort. Devin Caney. Had we not won the Super Bowl, what would we be saying? And Mike Missanelli. Well, you know how Philly is. Post game, now streaming on the 6ABC family of apps. 
Why do millions of people every year from around the world visit Philly's Rocky statue? You want to tell me the sky is burgundy with green stripes and yellow polka dots? I'll meet you on that. But you're never going to convince me Rocky is anything other than the pure greatness that it is. Never going to happen. Join me, Paul Farber, for WHYY's The Statue. We're going on a journey to explore the biography of the Rocky statue. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate you streaming in with us on Birds 365. Tony Shields in for Johnny Mac today with me, Jody Mac. We got Jeff Mosher good enough to come on board with us for a good couple of minutes here without Arizona uh, leading up to the game and then had to watch, like all the rest of us, that deals come up short on Super Bowl Sunday. G. Mosher, always appreciate when you hop on board, and I know you appreciate as a very good writer uh, the, the words that you use to describe something. Give me the main reason that the Philadelphia Eagles are not Super Bowl champions and lost that game on Sunday. What was the main reason in your eyes? Self-inflicted wounds. Self-inflicted wounds in a close game. You know that in a Super Bowl especially, you have to be more careful, more deliberate in everything you do. And the slightest mistake you make that you probably don't often make in the even in the preseason – or on a regular season, might hurt you. Obviously, you look at Jalen Hurts' fumble. That led to a touchdown, not a play he typically you worry about with him or makes, but that was a swing play. And then something you did worry about going into the game came back to haunt them, and that was special teams. So that was a, that was a huge swing when the combination of a bad punt and a bad you know job of, on the return, which was aided by the bad punt, but that was it. That set it up right there for the uh, for the Chiefs to get that momentum back where, after they came out of the third quarter and scored to get themselves back in the game. And that was that was tough. Jeff, I have a question for you. You know, and this, and this definitely relates to everything you just said. Um, because of the self inflicted wounds, um, because of the dynamic of the game, the Chiefs only had the ball for about twenty eight minutes, but they were so efficient and yep. put up about and put up thirty eight points in those twenty eight minutes. Um, because of the situation of football, the punt return and uh, the scoop and score um, from the Chiefs defense, is it fair to say that this probably was Patrick Mahomes' easiest Super Bowl win? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I thought I, I'm pretty sure they were losing in the fourth quarter against the 49ers a couple of years ago. You can go yeah. go fact yeah. check me. On oh that. yeah, but but this one, I mean. I get what you're saying because he completed a high percentage of his passes, but he was out there, you know, legging it out on on a on an ankle injury that he reaggravated during the game. They were down by ten at half. I just think that this kind of comes part and parcel with playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Unlike some other teams, you have a ten point lead on them. They flourish. They are the best team I've ever seen with a deficit. If you go look at the like the statistics of teams in the Super Bowl, especially or in the playoffs who are trailing by a certain number of points, whether it's 7, 10, by a certain time, third quarter, fourth quarter, they overwhelmingly favor the team that's ahead. But 
you know, you go back to how they won their first Super Bowl when they were down by, well, I think, 17 nothing in the first quarter of the AFC Championship game to the Titans. And then they won that they won that game like 30-something to 17. I mean, they just completely went on a tear, and it was over. So this is what the Chiefs do. Uh, the only thing I would say that, that may have made it a little bit more comfortable for, for Patrick in this game compared to others is that the Eagles' pass rush did not get to him at all. How much of the lack of pass rush do you think was the bad field? And we know the bad field was the bad field for both teams, so it should affect them both the same, but it doesn't always work that way. Uh, we know Hassan Reddick's a speed guy, and Josh Sweat is uh, probably considered a speed guy, not as much as Reddick on the other side, that they just couldn't get leverage because of the field. Is that, that a legitimate contributing explanation or factor to them getting zero sacks in this game. Yeah, I think some of it is fair because you saw instances of guys beating their man one-on-one then falling. But you made the right the same point. The Chiefs had to play on the same field. They may not have the type of speed on the edges defensively that the Eagles have, but they have speed at other positions and I saw I saw Isaiah Pacheco take a draw up the middle and just fall down right on that painted area where he got three yards and just slipped and fell. That might have been another 10 to 15-yarder for Pacheco, the way he had an opening there. So it did affect both teams, um, and I think it hit both teams hard where they are strong. But it's not like the Eagles to, to not get a lot of pressure on a quarterback, and certainly that had, a, that had something to do with slowing them down. The NFL should be ashamed. That, that surface, it's not the first time. It's been a problem when the Eagles went out there to play in October. We spent a great deal of time on Inside the Birds talking about how many injuries had occurred uh, at that stadium. I think Andy Reid lost a player to an ACL injury either earlier that year or maybe late last year. It's the same stadium. It's grass. So they must say, you know, they say, oh, you guys complain about turf. Well, this is grass. Yeah, but it's like grass brought in on trays. Right. I mean, it's just it's not. And then they painted it all up. It's it was it was the not only did the, the team suffer. But I thought the viewers of the most important and most watched game in the world suffered because it was silly watching players out there falling left and right. It was like Keystone Cops out there. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, like, but like you said, the pe- like that grass, the whole situation with the grass, it affected both teams. Yes. And there was moments in that game where I felt like I saw Chiefs players falling more than Eagles players. But you know, I digress. You guys mentioned the lack of pass rush. I have to ask, we talk about this defense and we always talk about the caliber of quarterback they played all year and how the pass rush has just been wreaking havoc on any and everybody that they faced. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the lesser the quarterback, the longer they take to make a decision. Is it possible or is it fair to say that this lack of pass rush exposed the lack of, I don't want to say talent, but is it fair that this pass rush or the lack of pass rush expose the Eagles DBs or or expose their pass defense? Well, I mean a little bit, but I think it was more the lack of pass rush coupled with the way the Chiefs schemed the Eagles and outclassed them from an offensive play calling standpoint exposed what the Eagles do defensively. Because I think mm. individually those guys are talented players. Agreed. But if Agreed. you go look at the two walk-in touchdowns, right, um, they were at caught out of place. Darius Slay followed Kadarius Tony inside, then could not come close to getting him on the outside move. 
which is something that the Jaguars pulled off against the Eagles earlier this year. Doesn't make Slay a bad player. It just means in that specific formation, the way they play defense against that uh, in that situation is something that the Chiefs saw on tape and thought that they could come up with a counter for. And then the Skymore touchdown on the other side, well, that came on a blitz. And I think Avante Maddox is the, the late guy to recover. He's not blitzing, but again, Skymore sort of came from the outside in, sort of looked like he's either going to line up sort of offset from the quarterback, maybe take a run. They're, they're expecting something gadgety, and all he really does is leak right, leak right back out. And we know Avante's dealing with the toe injury, and you know he just wasn't quick enough to get back there. He wasn't nearly quick enough no. to get back on the ball there. What wasn't even in the picture. I knew yeah. I knew Slay was the guy who got victimized on the first walk-in touchdown. I wasn't sure it was on the second because there was no one in the picture. You <laughs> didn't know no who the hell was supposed to be in the same neighborhood he was. The Eagles yeah. had nobody there. All right, so the defense comes up small. Um, everybody wants to lop it off on Jonathan Gannon. And if you're going to give Gannon all the grief for this defensive effort more so than the players, that's fine. But I don't remember people going crazy about Jonathan Gannon holding his two playoff opponents to seven points apiece in the first two games. So all I'm saying is be consistent. If you want to beat the snot out of Gannon here, have at it. But I hope you gave him all the proper credit for the first couple of games. He didn't do a good job. I'm not looking to give him a free pass. But the players didn't play well. Some guys, Pro Bowls, all pro players, did not have good games. Uh, I don't know if it was always Gannon and putting him in the worst or the best positions, and they just didn't get the job done. He's going to be meeting with Arizona. I already met with him yesterday, uh, and he could potentially be their next head coach. How big a loss would it be if Gannon is not the defensive coordinator of this team next year? I mean, it is a loss because he's been your defensive coordinator for the last two years. You've completely rebuilt and redesigned how you play defense to fit I want to say fit his vision because I think that the league was trending I mean we're seeing a a ton of teams playing five-man fronts and Vic Fangio style defenses but the players do like him regardless of you know what fans say and as you just said he, he did have a pretty good year as a defensive coordinator and you're right that it's so so uh we've talked about so many parallels between the 2017 playoffs and this and this last one and you know, other than the Eagles not winning the Super Bowl, same kind of thing. Jim Schwartz's defense was great against Atlanta. It was great against the Vikings. It was not great in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. And you could say they're great against the Giants, great against the 49ers, but John Gannon's defense was not great against the Chiefs. Um, I think the, the the issues with his defense, the, the, the one area, Jody, I might say this, where losing Jonathan Gannon might be a good thing, and that always depends on what you replace him is, is that I think what we've learned in two years is that the Eagles might need kind of a fundamental reset on their def- defensive philosophy as to what they want to do within the construct of their defense. Their defense by itself is good. It's got great players. They set a record for sacks. They had all pros everywhere. But for two years now, when this defense has had to play a really good quarterback or a really good offensive scheme, And then even sometimes when they haven't, like the New Orleans Saints game, when Dalton starts off 14 for 14, even though that was they only scored 14 points that game, you can never let Andy Dalton be 14 for 14 on you. There are just too many times where an opponent sort of knows what the Eagles want to do and is able to game plan against it. And you just saw that really in the Super Bowl. Uh, And by the way, like for people killing Gannon, like 38 points, 38 points. Okay, seven were gift wrapped. I'm sorry, seven were defensive points, right? So we give it 31. 
I think we can all agree as rational sports fans that when a punt return goes down to the three, you have a very little chance of, you could say, all right, hold them to a field goal. That's still 10 points that you're then, but I would say that's an easy touchdown for a team. I think the Chiefs score from there on the 85 pairs. Yeah, get get right? Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, so, that, that's a seven spot. Right. So to me, I say 14 points are not on Jonathan Gannon, right? The, I, it's 24 points, which still isn't great, but you scored 35. You win that game by 11, right, if those two mistakes don't happen. But it does bring up to the bigger point that there's just something about what he does or does not do fundamentally that – quarterbacks sort of take comfort in that he's not a pain in the ass type of defensive coordinator the way Steve Spagnuolo is or Martindale is like those guys could get beat but they really make the quarterback either think and they they break down your protection schemes they do all sorts of crazy stuff that keep you up at night I don't think Jonathan Gannon keeps quarterbacks up at night I think his pass rushers do but I don't think I think individually some of his defensive backs do, but I don't think what he does as a coordinator scares anybody, if that makes sense. So let me let me follow up. Thanks, Tone. Um, if they stay in-house, if uh, he decides to take the Aaron Jones on a job, it's off to him, he takes it, which, oh, by the way, I'd turn it down if I were Jonathan Adams, but that's just me. Um, if they stay in-house, Darn Wilson seems to be the most logical choice. Do you think he would go in another direction and and or would he just tinker with the defense? Or do you think the defense gets rubber stamp play exactly the same way they did because he was under Gannon these last two years? You know, I think they'll give him because he's such he's a veteran guy, he's been a player, he's been a, a assistant coach for a while, he's well regarded by the team. I think they would give him a certain degree of autonomy of how he wanted to do it. Although I don't think that if he said, I, I'd like to go back to running a conventional four, three, I, you know, I, I don't see that happening. Right. I think that they want to keep the defense that's best for the personnel they got because but of Reddick. Would, would you say Reddick's the main reason that that would be the case? Well, I mean, you drafted Jordan Davis in the first round last year. Yeah. You've got overhang players now, like, like Hassan Reddick, no doubt about it. So I would think that that would be the case. Um, but I do think sometimes like a, a different set of eyes, a different play caller, or a different, philosophy with the saint within the same framework can can make a difference and you know we will see if that's the case if it's denard wilson or somebody else if someone else just does something differently whether it's i don't want to say more blitzing everybody always says more blitzing no. jonathan gannon blitzed what his, his second highest of the year against the chiefs he blitzed on the play where sky Moore had a walk-in touchdown that that's not it it's it's more about you know your tighter coverage your post-snap disguise your pre-snap movement you know, your overloads, your stunting. Like, there's a thousand different things that a defensive coordinator can do to make uh, life miserable for a quarterback. And maybe a fresh set of eyes or a fresh brain on it would be a good thing for the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, I think we all can definitely agree that the Eagles defense, Gannon, and players, uh, and, and the turf didn't have their best game. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, if I may, I want to transition to um, – the offensive side of the ball, um, specifically Shane Steichen, uh, former OC for the Philadelphia Eagles, now the head coach for uh, the Indianapolis Colts. Good luck with Jim Mersey. Um, But I have to ask you this, Jeff, um, just kind of similar to what uh, Jody asked uh, about losing Gannon and what, what, what kind of impact that may have. Losing Shane Steichen, I'm curious to know what's your perspective on what impact that may, that may have on maybe Jalen Hurts, 
um, mm-hmm. the way uh, the, the way this game is being called for Philadelphia Eagles. And who do you see being elevated to that position or do you see them outsourcing? Well, that's a good question. You know, I'm sure they will look at every option. You know, they have some good in-house candidates, one of them being Brian Johnson, the quarterback's coach, who I think would be a really logical replacement because of all the work that he's done with Jalen Hurts and how Hurts-centric this offensive is and, and with the RPOs and everything like that. There's a guy named Kevin Petulo who doesn't get mentioned a lot, but he's Nick Sirianni's right-hand man, brought him in from Indianapolis. He's the passing game coordinator, and um, the Eagles passing game took a major jump this year. And as we all know, teams like their passing guys to be their play callers. So he would be another one. Uh, you know, I don't know that they'll they would promote Jeff Stoutland to it unless he wanted it. But that would be some guy that would maybe be a dark horse candidate. So uh, they've got some guys in house that are all familiar with the offense that they've been running here, both this year and the year before. Now Shane Steichen called the plays, so I don't want to take any credit away from him. And I thought there were times this year where the Eagles were almost brilliant with their sequencing, like what they're running now, setting up what they're going to run next, setting up what they're going to run. I think that was the biggest jump this year. Absolutely. The play calling and the sequencing, having an intent and a purpose behind what you're doing and then keeping it fresh all year long so that you didn't get stale within that. I thought they were fantastic at that. But I also want to say that while Shane called the plays and did a great job of that, I just mentioned three other names, you know, Nick Sirianni, Kevin Petullo, and Jeff Stoutland, who are a really big part of the design of the offense. Stoutland designs the run game. We all know how good and diversified and difficult to stop the run game can be. So I think they're okay keeping it in-house and sort of – I don't know that you're you're going to lose a whole lot unless whoever gets that spot just is a bad play caller, you know, and doesn't have a good feel and rhythm – for the game the way Shane Steichen had to have. But I, I have less concern sort of about how the playbook's going to look because I still think you have a lot of really good offensive minds coming off this really good year who will be back, and then they'll, they'll probably add somebody else to the fold as well. Yeah, really well, quickly, Julie, if I could throw this in really quick, yeah. I, I, have, I have to throw this in about the sequencing because you just got me geeked, uh, Jeff, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, there was a game, the, the Steelers game, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the exact play or the terminology for it, but there was a play where – uh, they set up a screen for Dallas Goddard and Zach Pascal was the blocker on the left side of the field. Yep. Right. And yep. Goddard got the screen pass. And that they was got a great what, screen too. And, I remember what you're talking about. Right. And they got and they got whatever yards they got. I want to say maybe a, a drive or two later, mm-hmm. they ran the exact same play, but instead of Zach Pascal um, doing, you know, instead of Zach Pascal screening for Dallas Goddard, he cut up the field mm-hmm. wide open for a touchdown. Yep. That yep. was so. Beautiful to me. That was one of the first moments I realized we have this passing game has gone to another level. The play calling, the sequencing, the intention has gone to another level. You just got me excited when you, yeah. you know, when you said the word sequencing, I immediately knew what you were talking about. And that was one that was one situation um, that stood out to me. Yeah. When offense sort of looks like poetry in motion, it's not by accident. And it's not always just because you have great players. Every team has great players. You know, the Steelers have great offensive players. They have terrible offensive play calling and offensive sequencing, you know. So uh, I agree. And that was something that we talked about a lot on Inside the Birds that was very apparent in the first eight, nine, ten games of the season. Um, It was there all year, but they kind of went through that scoring binge uh, when Goddard got hurt where they were just like throwing the ball all over everybody. And I I almost felt they got away from the great 
mix and harmonious because they were just going shot play, shot play on everybody. Tennessee, shot plays, right? And then they got back to it as the playoffs began. And I thought, I think it makes them a much more difficult team to defend when they've got four or five options within each play. And to your point, when they start running different plays from the same formations, right, that really confuse the defense and your your eyes start to get lost because you think you're seeing one thing, but in reality, something else is coming at you. Jeff, I'm sure you talked about it on uh, Inside the Birds because we talked about it here on Birds 365. One of the other downsides of just not having a parade after losing a game to the Chiefs is you know – Next year's team is not going to be the same as this year's team. There is a change in the roster every single year. That happens whether you win a Super Bowl, whether you go 2-15. and 15, doesn't matter. It's, it's turnover every year. But you feel badly when you have a season like this and you get to the uh, final game of the year and you just come up short and you know guys aren't going to be back. Percentage chance that Miles Sanders is going to be back. Because I congratulated him after the game for his last game in an Eagle uniform. Because I just don't think... Not only doesn't it fit the Eagles' M.O. of what they want to invest in, who they'll spend money on, turnover rosters. He also didn't play well, was hurt, was hurt basically last couple months of the season, if not a knee, a hand, or whatever else. What's the percentage chance that they just perfectly aligns that no one else wants Miles Sanders and the Eagles go, all right, you come back on a cheap deal. Yeah, yeah, Miles, come on. We'll, we'll give you a big hug. Come on back into the fold. Any yeah. chance that happens? Yeah, well, really, that's the only ch- – it's not going to be a race to re-sign him. It's not going to be, like, number one on that priority list of an extension to get done. It is exactly how you said. If the market for market Miles Sanders happens to be not what he expected and his price is low – and by the way, that could happen because as good of a year he had, this is like the golden year – for free agent running backs, theoretically, some of these guys can get tagged or extended before. But as we sit here today, Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, who just had like a ridiculously good year for the um, for the Raiders, right? Barkley, Pollard, Jacobs, and somebody else, four. And then Miles is one of those five guys who's going to be a free agent. So it's very rare in the offseason that you got five teams that are really want running backs badly. I mean, it's not one of those desirable positions these days to go spend a ton of money on a free agency. So if those guys all hit free agency, it's hard to, it's going to be hard for miles to find a take taker at, at a really good rate for him. So um, then you can see the Eagles saying, all right, well, you know, here's our offer to you, take it or leave it. And then he's in a situation where he may feel like I got to take this. I think what makes it even harder for miles Sanders outside of just the market it's the fact that you had a guy, a seventh rounder, a seventh rounder in Isaiah Pacheco, outplay him and on the on the biggest of stages. And not only did, did he outplay him, he ran the ball just flat out better. He ran the ball with intention. He ran the ball angry. He ran the ball like he wanted to win this game. And you there were moments in that game, especially in the first run play. You saw you saw Miles Sanders just revert back to this, just continue to bounce it outside, bounce it outside, and it led to a fumble. You know. So can, mm-hmm. you know, can you speak on just the dynamic of how the Eagles handle the running back position in terms of allocating resources to it? And a guy like Isaiah Pacheco that you found in the seventh, that the Chiefs found in the seventh round, doesn't that by nature make it that much more difficult for a guy like Miles Sanders to get paid? No, it's always been right because you've you've seen throughout the years running backs, no matter where you draft them, if you put them in a great offensive scheme 
and they have a decent amount of talent, they can at least get the job done. Um, I mean, Kenny Gainwell, to your point, was out-snapped Miles Sanders, and he's a fifth-round pick who didn't even play his last year in college. So, yeah, I mean, the, it's it's hard to see. First of all, it's we're 36 hours removed from the Super Bowl, and I'm still having trouble processing and digesting the idea that Andy Reid, like, established the run in the second half of the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm still, like, struggling with that because I kept saying, imagine if, imagine if, because we knew that the Eagles, if you can get them in their four-man fronts and the way Pacheco has been running this, this year – he might be a problem. We talked about that on the inside of the birds, but then we would say, but you know what? He's going to just ignore him anyway. So it doesn't matter, but it, he didn't, he stuck with Pacheco and that guy does run violently. I like, I like his running style hey. from Vineland, New Jersey, by the way, I'm sure you guys have brought that Rutgers up. Rutgers guy. Yeah. Rutgers. Yeah. Well, I don't bring that part up cause I'm a Penn state guy, but the Vineland, <laughs> the Vineland thing is, is yeah, fun what, to mention. What we brought up last <laughs> week was who is Mike Trout rooting for? Because he's right. a Vineland guy, and you got a Vineland guy on the Chiefs. But we know how big an Eagle fan he was. I, I was looking for Mike Trout in the crowd to see, was he wearing a Pacheco jersey or his usual Eagles garb? Now, Mike Trout is a Millville guy. You don't want to cross the street. Yeah, They're very they, close they, to each other, but they uh-oh. may be rivals, Jody. You when might you're, be when you're in South Jersey, mad. If, if you're from where uh, I am. Yeah, yeah, that's the same thing. Yeah, it's, and, it's just and, all and, South Jersey, right? You yeah, just yeah, like yeah, throw yeah. it all in it's there. Not yeah, it's not the shore. It's not up here in Camden slash Burlington County. That's right. that one big area. It's in that like, that's the Pine Barrens. We're all just in the Pine Barrens. <laughs> exactly <out here>. right. <laughs> um, I, uh, but but to, to get back to the point, I, I you know this is going to be a very interesting offseason for running back, and and the Eagles have historically wanted to keep a running back who has had a year like miles you know they they extended shady they gave brian westbrook the money albeit a little late but they finally gave him his money you know they've they oh they they went a while without having a guy who was sort of a three down back but they don't even throw the ball in this offense to the running back so i'm not even sure that it, it's gonna matter that much all right, uh, I, I'm going to ask you to evaluate the use of a phrase that I'm going to use, that different people use it for different reasons, have different definitions of it, but uh, you've used it, I've used it, everybody uses it. Nucleus. The Eagles' nucleus. How deep is their nucleus? I'll give you the guys that I wrote down. They're certainly deeper on offense than they are on defense. You got Hertz, you got Devontae, you got AJ, you got Goddard, you got Lane. I'm still putting Lane in. He's young enough that I think you call him part of the nucleus. Dickerson and Mylotta. That's seven deep. That's seven out of 11. That's pretty damn good. No running backs. Can't put Kelsey in there because we don't even know that Kelsey's going to be back just yet. Um, if you want to put Jurgens in there, I think you got to put him in there. It's a question mark if you're going to say he's part of the nucleus. Really? And how many downs did he play? That that That's a question mark for me. The bigger question is on the defensive side, you've got Sweat, you got Rat, uh, Reddick, you got Avante, and you got Slay. That's it. That's four guys. You want to give me N'Kobe Dean? You want to tell me that Jordan Davis has already cemented himself? Last year's draft picks didn't real De- Dean didn't play at all. And Davis got off to a good start, got hurt got supplanted by veteran guys who came in and took snaps away from him. There were only four deep as the core, the nucleus on defense is 11 guys enough. Do you have any problems with the list that I put forth? Did you put AJ Brown on that list when you're talking about offense? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, no, I mean, I don't have any issues with that list. I mean, that's, those are their, this is such a rare situation where you have so many players 
who are on expiring contracts that I think what you basically did was name anybody who's not on an expiring Correct. contract. Right? <laughs> so yeah, these are your, that's your well, nucleus. I, right I left, I left Derek Barnett out. If that was someone. That you were. <laughs> no, he's, yeah. I think he could be on an expiring. I know it was a two year deal. Slay only has one year been, left. I mean, slay yeah. one year. 17 yeah. million. I don't know what, I don't know if they feel comfortable giving him that 17 million at this point. I, I certainly wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> No, is that enough? That is, is, that, is that enough of a nucleus for us to be very confident about this team going forward for the next several years? Because yeah. if you're talking nucleus, it isn't just purely 2023. It's got to be 23, 24, 25. Uh, is that a deep enough number of players for you to go, all right, yeah, screw it. We lost it this year, but we, we, we've got a really good chance to go back over the next couple of years. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, because you, the, the players you mentioned were at players of premier importance to this team and then usually in the NFL. I mean, you, you mentioned the quarterback, you mentioned the wide receiver, you did mention the cornerback and Slay, you mentioned the two pass rushers and Sweat and Reddick. You know, you can find your interior lineman, you can find your interior offensive lineman, you can find, you know, a second or third tight end. Linebackers, to be fair, you can find. I mean, the Eagles are on a new set of linebackers every year, it seems, anyway. Safeties, you can, you can find. Uh, I mean, Lord knows the Eagles don't value safety the way other, some other teams do. I mean, they haven't drafted one high in, I don't know, since I was in diapers, I guess. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if your quarterback plays at a pretty high level and you continue to work on building up the trenches offensively and defensively, then you're going to be good. You know, I, I think some of the, be- the best teams that don't win the Super Bowl, you find that they still f- get it done within a certain window. Remember the Ravens, you know, for the longest time, with Joe Flacco were trying to win the Super Bowl and they had some really good teams that kept losing to New England. And then the last year of Flacco's deal, he just gets hot in the playoffs, beats Denver on the road. Then they win the, uh, I forget who they beat in the, maybe it was New England in the AFC championship and they go win the Super Bowl. And that wasn't their best Ravens team, but that was the team that, you know, put it all together in that moment. Torrey Smith has talked about that. And I think we've seen that a couple of times with different teams. So, Really quickly, uh, last one from me, Jeff. Uh, I appreciate you for um, locking in with us as always. Inside the Birds, yep. Adam Kaplan, uh, DeCheco, those guys do great work over there. Appreciate you guys as always. Um, final question for me. Jalen Hurts, you know, he, even in the loss, and yes, they lost the game, and we're not going to try to dress up the L, but the reality is through every game, win or lose, you have to be able to take something from it that you can stand on. There has to be some silver lining. And for me, the silver lining is you found out Jalen Hurts can wheel and deal on one of the big stages. So let me ask you this. Has Jalen Hurts proven that he's the best quarterback in the NFC? And has he proven that he deserves consideration or is a top five quarterback in the NFL? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I always hate judging somebody after one year I get it. doing I get that. It. But I, I mean, to your point on the NFC, who's going to come in and have a better year next year than Jalen Hurts? I mean, I, Pound for pound, I still think Aaron Rodgers is the one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I know he didn't have his best year, but they had to yeah. completely reshape that entire team and 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 receiver staff. So I still to your think point, for it. some reason, I don't know why I always look at guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady like they're just separate category. I don't, yeah. I don't know why I do that in my brain for some reason. Um, no, I they, think that's that people do that too. It's just like you almost don't count them because they're on a, on a greatness level. But yeah. um, I you know I, I would never count out Aaron Rodgers, but I mean you know. You know, Dak had a, a heavy interception year. He just wasn't as prolific 
in consistently prolific. But again, I, I don't like to judge guys on their best or their worst year either. So Dak, yeah. Dak had like what 15 interceptions this year. And, and he went into the year as one of the least intercepted career quarterbacks there was. So maybe it was the loss of Amari Cooper. You know, I, I, I don't know. I feel really comfortable in saying this about Jalen hurts. He's, he's, he was damn impressive. He was the best quarterback on the, he had the, I'm sorry. He's not a better quarterback than Mahomes, but he had the better game. I mean, he was dynamic. Yeah. I know he fumbled the ball and that sucked, but he would have been the Super Bowl MVP if the Eagles won that game and they didn't lose it because of him. So they, they, he was, he, oh you know, God. he rescued that team quite a bit. So he's great and he's got a chance to be top three, top five if this keeps up. But, you know, that's something that, you know, guys don't just get from one year. You got to kind of earn that label uh, by putting together two, three, four, five, six years of it. Fair enough. But right, I do believe one. you laid the groundwork for it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, it was a fluke or anything. Most let me finish up with Hertz uh, as well. Today is uh, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Happy Valentine's Day to you. Which means we are one month from free agency. March 13th, it starts. Legal tampering, the dumbest phrase of the National Football League. Um, that means the Eagles have one month to get the Jalen Hurts contract extension done. You want to have your cap in place. You want to know what you're dedicating to him so you can spend elsewhere. There's going to be a lot of math done, a lot of cap crunching done between now and then. But you need to kind of make the dominoes line up. And the easiest way would be to get the first domino done, and that's Jalen's extension. Yay or nay, and how big is big? Yes, he's getting an extension, and it will be big. It'll be It'll be top five big. That's how big it'll be. That's that's close to 50 million, big guy. It is. Now, not to get too mathy on you, but there's a real advantage that the Eagles have here that he has one year left on a deal and that he only makes like two and a half million next year. Because what a lot of teams do, the Seahawks did this with Russell Wilson, is you sign into an extension that technically doesn't begin until the 2024 season, right? But you put a lot of that new money, the guaranteed money, you put a good chunk of it into this upcoming season. So let's say instead of making 2.8 on the books, he's you put like 25 million of that new money he's gonna get into next year. That means his cap number is like 27 million because he's already supposed to make two, right? Around two, 2.8. So call it 28 million, which is a lot of money. But for a quarterback, that's not a ton of money. If you're getting him at 28 million on the cap, that's bargain compared to guys who are 40, 50, 60 million, right? Right. And then you figure out a way going forward to have that extension with 25 million less attached to it because you already paid it up in the last year of his four-year deal and that in itself will help keep the cap number down a little bit as you spread it out over five or six years so yes it'll be exorbitant it'll still make a lot but i guarantee you when it's all said and done his cap number year by year for the first three or four years of deal will not be what Kyler Murray is getting, what Dak Prescott, guys who were right at free agency and first-round picks and had to sign big deals because of what they already were making, what the precedent was. I like I like your optimistic math. Uh, it all depends on how you look at it. You can yeah. either go, oh, this is good because they'll be saving down the road when they could have been taking it even more outrageous in. Or you can look at it as... Wait a minute, he's gonna be making twenty-seven million against the cap, and he was making two million this year. We're yeah. up twenty-five million in the quarterback position. Yeah, compared to everybody else in the league, he's still a bargain. Right. Compared to himself from the year before, where you came this close to winning a Super Bowl but didn't, 
as a $2 million quarterback, you go, oh, shoot, how are we going to get everybody else in here? Right. You're still fun. plus 23 million, uh, you know, that you didn't have last year to spend. And then, of course, that has to come from somebody else getting cut. So I, exactly I get it. Right. Which will uh, they'll be covering on Inside the Birds all year for you. You know, we'll be talking about it here on Birds 365. And yes, every once in a while, we will invite Jeff Mosher in anytime he joins us. He brings great insight. Thanks for doing it today, GM. You got it, guys. Have a good one. Jeff Mosher, sure. Inside the Birds, the podcast and the website. Uh, jumping in with us here on Birds 365. All right, quickie timeout coming. Uh, I got a couple more things to run by Tone. And then Gary Myers, longtime NFL writer and author, Hall of Fame selector. So he was busy last week. The, the new inductees got in. Uh, always good to uh, shoot the football breeze with Gary Myers. He's going to join us less than 20 minutes from now here on Birds 365. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the scene, go for the screens, go for the gallery, go for the win, go to ocean. Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth, born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one, and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Hi, everybody. My name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech, we offer three major services, the first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. Why do millions of people every year from around the world visit Philly's Rocky statue? You want to tell me the sky is burgundy with green stripes and yellow polka dots? I'll meet you on that. But you're never going to convince me Rocky is anything other than the pure greatness that it is. Never going to happen. Join me, Paul Farber, for WHYY's The Statue. We're going on a journey to explore the biography of the Rocky statue. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
post-game show with Seth Joyner. I knew that they had a running game. Derek Gunn. He has put in the effort. Devin Caney. Had we not won the Super Bowl, what would we be saying? And Mike Missanelli. Well, you know how Philly is. Post-game, now streaming on the 6ABC family of apps. You've got Prone to Shields in for Johnny Mac today. You got me, Johnny Mac, and it's Birds 365. Yeah, every passing hour, the pain of the Super Bowl loss decreases about yo much. Not a whole hell of a lot, but it does get a <laughs> little bit less. And before you know it, there will be transactions coming that'll let us sink our teeth into the birds for 2023, which in uh, most Vegas outlets are the third choice, the fourth choice. Some have San Francisco ahead of the Eagles. Everybody has Kansas City as the number one choice. Some have Buffalo ahead. Uh, Cincinnati and the Bengals are uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and Eagles are on that same par. They're not the favorite to go back. Kansas City is, and then it's a bunch of teams that are grouped uh, together, and the Eagles are certainly in that group. Uh, so they should have a shot again next year, but they've got a lot of offseason work to do, a, l- a bunch of free agents to get done. But as we just discussed with Jeff uh, Tone, they got to <clears> get the extension for uh, Jalen Hurts done. And sure enough, I was dealing with it again last night. Got a call on WIP. Guy says, they can get Hurts done if they offer him three years, $120 million. No, they can't. He's not getting three years. Uh, you can give the benchmark other quarterbacks the Sean Watson five-year deal. Um, who am I forgetting? Josh Allen, six year deal. Uh, uh, Kyler Murray, who has not even come close to doing what Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts' year this year overshadows anything that Kyler Murray's ever done in the National Football League. Five years, $230 million. So if you think that you're going to get Jalen Hurts on the cheap, if he's going to do the Eagles a favor and give him a hometown discount. He's a good guy. I think he loves Philadelphia. He certainly puts that forth as a step. This is his chance to get paid. And why shouldn't he make as much, if not more, and I say more, than a guy like Kyler Murray? And if you're an Eagle fan, how can you expect him to settle for less? It's got to be a five-year deal, right, Tom? Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a bit selfish, you know, for, you know, some fans to think that he's just supposed to just – you know, play for pennies on the dollar. You know what I mean? Hey, he just loves Philly. He loves Philly cheesesteaks. You know, he loves soft pretzels and water ice. You know, he he loves it. That's it's not realistic. You know, at the end of the day, he's he's a contractor, and his services require a certain level of compensation. And his oh, yeah. performance, the results, have elevated that level of compensation. You know, you mentioned guys like Kyler Murray. You mentioned Deshaun Watson. I'm looking at Kyler Murray's contract. You know, I'm not even really talking about the years because I think the years like you said, are going to be five, something like that. But an average salary for Kyler Murray, $46.1 million. Russell Wilson, $48.5 million. Deshaun Watson, $46 million. Patrick Mahomes is making less than those guys with $45 million. They gave him a 10-year contract, half, you know, half a billion dollars, but the way it's structured. Um, Josh Allen, $43 million. Aaron Rodgers, $50.2 million. So I think, if I'm being completely honest with you, Jody, Jalen Hurts is going to get at minimum, at the bare minimum, He's going to get forty nine million dollars because, 
again, as you elevate your game, as you elevate your stock, as the results begin to, uh, you know, funnel out, Jalen Hurts has shown that he can play on an extremely high level. He can make every throw. I think I think that conversation needs to be put to bed. He can make every single throw. You saw in the Super Bowl, he can make any throw you need him to make at any given moment. And I think that's where the money is right there. How you know what are the throws you can make, right? And I don't care how strong your arm is. No one's asking you to throw the ball 80 yards, 60 yards every every play. That's not realistic, you know. But the fact that he's able to make every throw efficiently, competently. And he's shown an ability to sustain drives, be reliable. He's a leader. He's a he's a man's man. You know what I mean? Like he, this team follows him wherever he goes. Why would you want to shortchange a guy like that? It, it, it doesn't really make too much sense to me. But again, I think that contract starts at forty nine million. Joe Banner was on the Rich Eisen show, and he said he's that contract is probably going to be fifty one and fifty two, you know, something around there. So look, I'm all about I'm, I'm all for guys getting paid. I've I've never been mad at guys going to get their money. But what I will say is this. It's important to understand the dynamic of your success. Jalen Hurts improved his game, leaps and bounds. But also, also concurrently, the roster was improved beside him as well. So I think Jalen Hurts is smart enough to say, okay, I took my game to this level. The roster around me helped elevate me, and I also helped elevate them. I need to make sure I get mine. While at the same time, I'm able to keep us in contention. I don't want to gut us. So I'm not telling him to take a pay cut. I'm just simply saying. Exactly what you're telling him. Wait, you you no, can't have no, it both ways no, no. here, I'm going to get mine. I knew you were going to do it. We've got to leave some for everybody else. No, I knew you were going to do it, Jody. $50 million, <laughs> he's not leaving anything for anybody else. So hear, hear me out on this. Hear me out on this. I'm, I never encourage guys to take less than what they deserve. Never. All I all I all I say is be mindful. Be mindful of what your contract does. Be mindful. Take what you want. I'm never going to judge you. Just be mindful. That's all. And I think Jalen Hurts is a smart enough guy that he's mindful. mindful. Mindful is nice. The only thing that matters is your actions. And he's got to take care of himself first. Absolutely. He's got to be mindful. Here's a I'm mindful of it, Howie. It's on you. That's how the conversation has to go. It's not his job to keep everybody else's cap number in place. That's on how he's And to your point, Jody, to your point, not to interrupt, but to your point, the Chiefs gave Patrick Mahomes a lot of money, and they still got where they were because they drafted well, and they developed players, and they were able to put those guys in positions to succeed. Coaches elevated those players. So, again, like you said, it's up to Harry Roseman to bring in a nice new crop of talent to put with Jalen Hurts and the rest of those guys, but also was up to the coaching staff to help scheme and coach those guys up. You know what I mean? And, you know, look, the bottom line is, like you said, man, like Jalen Hurts deserves to get his money. And this, in, in no shape, way, or form should he be shortchanged by that because of his style of play, because of the way he plays the position. It doesn't matter. He's shown you an ability to get you to a Super Bowl and play good enough to win the game. You got to pay him. Here's here's the one flying the ointment, and the Hertz devotees aren't going to like this. And you know I'm actually one of them, but I'm also a realistic guy who can look through it uh, objectively rather than eagle-colored glasses. Jalen Hurts was phenomenal this year. He was second-best player in the National Football League. Only Mahomes was better. 
I think he was actually the best quarterback on the field in the Super Bowl. Even though Mahomes won, even though Mahomes won the MVP, he outplayed him for my money. So he needs to get paid. He deserves to get paid. He's going to get paid, but he does play the game a specific way. And if you're taking advantage of Jalen Hurts' skill set. And the Super Bowl, another prime example, most rushing yards ever by a quarterback in the Super Bowl at 70. He now owns that record after one shot at it. Um, how much are you guessing? And no one can know for sure. None of us have a crystal ball. But how much are you factoring in? All right, Jalen is going to be injured X amount of games because we're going to put him at risk, because we want to take advantage of a skill that he has that, this side of Lamar Jackson, nobody else in the National Football League has. And oh, by the way, isn't Lamar a shining example of what can happen when you get a quarterback who runs as much as he does? Lamar has been injured as much as he has. And that just ends your season. When Lamar Jackson goes down the Ravens season, over. If he's not playing in the playoffs, over. The Eagles were lucky in that Jalen Hurts got hurt this year, only missed two games, was able to come back for a third and be healthy enough, not 100%, but healthy enough in the postseason, you can get away with that when he's making $2 million. When he's making $50 million and, oh, shoot, Jalen's going to be out for five weeks, your season's over, you're screwed. So is that anything that the Eagles have to be able to negotiate around? Will Jalen accept that, that, hey, listen, we want we want to pay you the same as every other quarterback in the league, but you're a guy who's probably going to have injury issues in your career and we need to protect ourselves. Is that going to wash at all in a negotiation between Hertz and uh, Howie Roseman? It's definitely going to come up. Um, but I also think it's how you structure the contract, right? Um, any, I think if they put enough, I guess the, I guess the term you'll use is off ramps. Like, but it's again, it's always how you structure the contract and ultimately you got to know what you're paying for. At the end of the day, you have to understand what you're paying for, and you have to understand why a certain player is successful. Um, I think Jalen Hurts is actually better than Lamar Jackson. I think he's a better thrower. Um, I think he's a more uh, – I, th- I think he's a smarter runner. Uh, I don't see Jalen Hurts taking the same kind of hits as a Lamar Jackson, but again, Ooh. we, we, we got to be mindful. Lamar, um, Jalen Hurts ran the ball more than he did last season. That's the bottom line. The bottom line is he ran that ball more. And he took more hits just by the math. So when you pay him, you have to keep in mind, this is your style of play, Jalen. This is what you do. Now, are we going? Are you going to begin to run less and throw more? We don't want to change your game. We don't want to change what makes you great. But I definitely ex- expect Jalen Hurts' game to continue to round itself out in the passing game. And as he gets older, I think he'll begin to run a bit less and less and less and just be a little bit more judicious um, with his rush attempts. Again, they ran him more this year than they did last year. That was something I didn't expect to happen, um, but it did. So we're going to really it, – it, it's really one of those conversations that's so up in the air. I, I, almost, I almost don't really have an answer for you, Jody. I just think it's one of those things that you have to structure this contract, whereas though he gets what he wants, you get what you want. And everybody, uh, for the most part, is protected. I I will debate with you a little bit that he's a smarter runner than Lamar Jackson. He's a tougher runner than Lamar Jackson. He's stronger than Lamar Jackson. I've said this a couple times here and, and elsewhere. 
the lament after the loss that uh, they didn't have that good straight ahead runner, that between the tackles runner, that guy who's going to move the pile like they did in 2017 with Lagaris Blunt and JJ. Oh yeah, they do. It's just his name's Jalen Hurts. He's the quarterback. They've got a great between-the-tackles-move-the-pile rusher. He just happens to be the QB on this team. So uh, the, the the lamenting, I think, is misplaced. But he does. He puts his body at risk. And mm. he's going to because he's that tough of a guy. He's that strong and well-built enough of a guy. And he's got that mindset. So I, I don't know what you can say. Uh, he's a smarter runner than Lamar. So can I ask so let me ask you this, Joey. Um, to your point, right? Um, about the Eagles using Jalen in those short yardage, you know, situations as their power back to, you know, move the line forward, so on and so forth. Do you think this Eagles coaching staff would be even willing to run less designed runs for him and actually get a running back that does what you want Jalen Hurst to do? You know, operate in those short guarded situations. You know, they had Trey Sermon, but they didn't want to really give him any time. I don't know if he didn't. I don't. I don't know if he didn't show them enough. I don't know. But they did, they felt like Trey Sermon wasn't a guy that needed to get that many snaps. So, you know, do you do you see them making a a thought to say, okay, we, okay, we need to bring in a power back so we can run our quarterback just a, a bit less. It's a very legitimate question. They they're going to redo their entire running back room. I don't think Miles is going to be back. Who knows about Boston Scott? Trey Sermon may or may not be here. The only given is going to be Kenny Gainwell, and we don't even know how they're going to plan on using Is he going to be their lead back? Is he going to stay in the role, maybe expand a little bit of what he was in this year? Oh, that that's wide open for not only debate, but uh, to be determined by the Eagles, depending on how they want to run their offense. And you're suggesting, oh, it's a distinct possibility that they do try and get a specific running back who goes more between the tackles just because they can take that away from Jalen Hurts and put him at risk less going forward. He's told to shield it for Johnny Mack. I'm Jody McDonald. We had a GM in hour number one. We got a GM in hour number two. That's not a general manager. Uh, it was Jeff Mosher in hour number one. Coming up next is longtime NFL writer and author Gary Myers going to jump in with us. We'll talk both about the Super Bowl, the Eagles, and a little Hall of Fame since Gary is one of the selectors as well. Uh, we got uh, Gary Myers joining us next year on Birds 365. Post game show with Seth Joyner. I knew that they had a running game. Derek Gunn. He has put in the effort. Devin Caney. Had we not won the Super Bowl, what would we be saying? And Mike Missanelli. Well, you know how Philly is. Post game, now streaming on the 6ABC family of apps. Why do millions of people every year from around the world visit Philly's Rocky statue? You want to tell me the sky is burgundy with green stripes and yellow polka dots? I'll meet you on that. But you're never going to convince me Rocky is anything other than the pure greatness that it is. Never going to happen. Join me, Paul Farber, for WHYY's The Statue. We're going on a journey to explore the biography of the Rocky statue. 
Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Hi, I'm Jim Mulebronner, managing partner at Delval Insurance Group. Give us a call. We're a local, knowledgeable agency, not an 800 number. Go Birds! you streaming in here on Bird 365. Tony Shields in for Johnny Mac today with me, Jordy Mac. We're going to spend a good couple of minutes uh, talking about the Eagles, the Super Bowl, the Hall of Fame inductees with our next guest. He is one of the 49 selectors and is longtime NFL reporter, writer, uh, author as well. Gary Myers jumps in with us here on Bird's 365. Let me start here, Gary. You, like me, are of a certain age. You've seen, if not every single Super Bowl. I've I've manned up and said, I really don't remember the two Packer wins at the beginning. Oh, I remember the Jets winning against uh, the Colts in Super Bowl three. But I, I have very vivid memories of 55 out of 57. Where does this Super Bowl rank that they just played as far as excitement level, uh, quality of football level, uh, how good a watch was it? Top five, top ten. Uh, how good is Super Bowl to compare to all the others that you watch? That, that's a great question to start off, Jody. I, I would say uh, definitely not top five. I'd have to put my list together and see if I can squeeze it into the top ten. Top ten. All right, fair. I, I just didn't like the way the game ended, uh, you know, with a penalty pretty much providing the winning points. I would have loved to have seen – you know, the Chiefs kicked that field goal. Jalen Hurts get the ball with like a, a minute 40 to go in one timeout and see if he can get him into field goal range or maybe even uh, uh, get him into the end zone to avoid overtime. But, boy, it's, it's a – here's a – I know we'll get into this, but the problem I have with that penalty is they weren't calling it the entire game. There wasn't right. one defensive pass interference. There wasn't one defensive holding and to call it with a minute and 50 to go or whatever, what uh, was a borderline call to begin with, I, I, I think that really prevents this game from being put among the all-time greats. 
if they had kicked a field goal and the Eagles came down and won it or tied it or the game went into overtime, then for sure, I mean, an overtime Super Bowl game would have been one of the all-time greats. But to have the officials decide it, uh, I have a hard time, you know, thinking that was better than the, you know, the, the Patriots Seahawks ending, the Patriots Falcons, the Giants and the Bills, the first Giants Patriots won, um, the Cardinals and the Steelers. And this is just off the top of my head. You know, I'm sure I can find yeah. find some more. You know, the, the Bengals and the 49ers the second time, Joe driving on 92 yards. I mean, those were all better games. This one, this this game, the, the Chiefs played horribly in the first half. The Eagles played horribly in the second half. So it wasn't one of those games where they were just um, kind of going back and forth because they're both playing great. And obviously, is you know, people in Philadelphia have to be wondering, would this game have been a blowout for the Eagles if, if it wasn't for that Hurts fumble? You know, Gary, you know, you brought up the penalty and how it, for you at least, it impacted the the lore of the mm-hmm. matchup, the, you know, the, you know the, the lore of the Super Bowl and when, and when you compare it to other games as well. Um, un- understandably so. Um, are there any Super Bowls that you can think of, any big games in the playoffs that you can think of that had the potential of being an instant classic, but because of a decision by the refs, it kind of took away from the luster of it. Is Are, are there any matchups, any big matchups, playoffs, Super Bowl that you can think of that remind you of something like that or give you that give you a similar feeling? Well, Tone, certainly, you know, last year's Super Bowl, there was a, a holding call on the Bengals at the two-yard line in the last minute or so. Um, I think – I believe the Rams were down four at that point. It was, maybe it was a third and goal from the eight or something, and it gave them a fresh set of downs, and they went on to win the game. Um, you know, on the other hand, the, um, the Hail Mary game – Hail Mary catch by Drew Pearson in the playoffs in 1975, Minnesota, Dallas. I mean, that Dallas won that game on a very controversial uh, pass interference call on Nate Wright. And I think that only added to the lore of that game because that became such a huge talking point. Um, I'm trying to think of another, oh, the Saints and the, uh, and the Vikings, uh, the pass interference call that was not called. Um, you know, that, that's been a, a, another playoff game that was dictated, you know, by the officials. There's just something of, and it, what happened last year with the Bengals and Rams wasn't talked about as much, I don't think, as this penalty on Bradbury is going to be talked about because this was, this was so borderline to begin with. You know, first quarter of the third game of the season, this was a borderline call. Less than two minutes to go in a suit and tie game in a Super Bowl. I just don't see how you call it because, first and foremost, they hadn't been calling it the entire game. Yeah. This is not the first time something in the game had happened like that. I mean, Bradbury should have been called, I think it was in the second quarter. The first thing I thought of when I saw the flag come out, when they said there's a flag, oh, by the way, I never saw the flag. It wasn't shown on TV. You had to be told that there was a flag on a play. And then they showed the replay. I said, oh, that's soft. Well, you know, Jody, you saw the flag on the replay. And he threw it once the ball – I thought he threw it once the ball landed in the end zone. I didn't see him throw it uh, when there was that contact. I could be wrong about that one because, you know, um, when they were showing the, the ball landing in the end zone, I saw a flag. I thought that's when it, it came out. But 
don't know exactly when yeah. the referee threw it. So, uh, but we can all agree that it was just a soft call. Yes. Jalen Hurts was not soft. I think he actually outplayed Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Mahomes gets the MVP because his team won. Yeah. And Mahomes played very well, but I thought Hurts played phenomenally. The the fumble included, which was a huge part of it. Can't give him an A plus, but you can give him an A minus. Uh, I thought he was that good. How much is it going to cost the Eagles that uh, they're going to have to give him a contract extension, which is going to be top of the market? He's, he's going to get what Russell Wilson got, what Josh Allen's got. Uh, is is this going to be end up being a problem for the Eagles because they're going to try and hold it in check? Is the Deshaun Watson total guarantee contract going to be a hurdle this team has to get over? How tough is it going to be to get Jalen Hurts signed to an extension for the Birds? Yeah, I think the Deshaun Watson contract, the teams are trying to paint that as an aberration and holding the line on fully guaranteeing those contracts. You've seen, I, I'm sure that's a holdup uh, with Lamar Jackson and why that hasn't gotten signed yet. You know, the Eagles have always done a really good job managing the cap, signing their young players to extensions, buying out uh, restricted or uh, free agent years um, you know, for non-first-round picks, fifth-year options for first-round picks. So uh, with, with Hertz going into his fourth and final year of his contract, uh, the Eagles have an opportunity to get him signed to a long-term deal or deal with it after next season and have to go the franchise route. And then you hope you have him signed by July 15th. It will cause hard feelings, putting the franchise tag on him. No player wants that kind of restriction. So seeing how the Eagles have dealt with this in the past, uh, I, I would anticipate something getting done in the off season, you know, it, you know, between now and, and training camp, how much it's going to cost them. It's going to cost them market value, which, you know, continues to change with each, with each contract that gets signed. So I would say, you know, Dak Prescott at $40 million a year is probably the, the floor of this contract and the ceiling, you know, was it 50, 55? He's, he's going to set the market now on, on contracts. He's in a perfect situation. They did not lose that game because of Jalen Hurts. They nearly won it because of him. Uh, he was the best player. He was the best player on the field. And Jody, I agree with you hundred percent. The Eagles win that game. He's got the the, the uh, MVP trophy. You know, one other thing I just want to say about that penalty, I thought it was really stand-up of James Bradbury to say, yeah, it was holding. I thought he took the heat off the officials by, um, by, by saying that, you know, once he watches the tape of that play, he might feel a little bit differently because there's so many people that I respect that have come out and said that wasn't a flag. You know, you know, we brought up Jalen Hutt's contract, and it's it, it, it made me think about the way the quarterback contracts can somehow take a chokehold or a stranglehold on an organization's cap space, and it makes it that much harder to, you know, build out and fill out your roster with top-tier talent. Um, that's just the name of the game, though, especially in this day and age with the NFL. I'm curious, you know, uh, Gary, you've covered this game for a long time. Um, you've written many books about this game. You've covered some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Has there ever been a time similar to this one where a position in particular has had a stranglehold on a team's um, assets like the quarterback position does now? Boy, that, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, first thing first I'll say is th that's why it's almost incumbent on these teams who draft quarterbacks really high um, 
should take advantage of their rookie contracts uh, for the three or four years they get to pay them what's not market value and then build the team up around them. Because once, if these guys live up to expectations and certainly a guy like Jalen Hurts has far exceeded expectations, um, they're going to have to pay for it and make up for it by, by not being able to pay market value across the board to some of the players that they want to keep. Um, I would think that ever since the free agency salary cap system came into effect in uh, 93, 94 in that area, um, that it's always been, okay, what do we have to pay the quarterback? Are we going to have money to build a team around him after we pay him? Uh, probably never more so than it is now, Tone, uh, strictly because the cap has gotten so high. And could you ever imagine 10 years ago a quarterback averaging 45 or $50 million a year? When you think about it, in the first year of the salary cap, the cap was $34 million. Now you have players making more than that by themselves. So uh, this is a great time in NFL history to be a great quarterback. Really quickly, Jody, uh, Jody, Gary, is there a contract that comes to your mind right now that you could think of like, wow, if that guy was getting paid today, he would be he would be making north of $50 million. Is there a contract you could think of back then that you probably, you probably say to yourself, wow, he was grossly underpaid for how good he was. Well, I, the first guy that comes to mind wasn't even a quarterback. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, the most he ever made in the season was two and a half million dollars. Wow. And um, I talked to Lawrence about that fairly recently. And I said, can you imagine being a free agent <laughs> in this market coming off your 1986 season? When oh, you were man. The Almost shed a tear. 20 and a half sacks. He goes, they would have had to name it Giants and Taylor Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've seen lines from people saying, you know, if you played today, what would they have said about you? And they would have called me partner. Partner, right. Partner, right? Yeah. Oh, man. But, you know, Taylor saying they would have named after the stadium after him. I mean, it's it's probably not far from being wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, quarterbacks from that era, you know, Elway, Marino, Joe Montana. Joe Montana's last contract with the Kansas – when he played for Kansas City in 93 and 94 – was three years, $10.5 million. Think about that. Wow. Yeah, now, now you get backup D-backs who make that kind of money if they're uh, good enough to be able to play. And just, just, Jody Mack, just think about this. Tom Brady, if he wasn't so unselfish, and he was during his prime years with the Patriots, what he could have been making. He would have been setting the market uh, in 2015 and you know even earlier than that. But, you know, he bought in to the whole program there. You know, we can make we can keep this a Super Bowl caliber team as long as we're not paying you uh, what the top of the market is. And whether he regrets that or not, I don't know. I mean, he's got so much money and he's got a huge contract coming from Fox where he's going to make more than he ever did in his football contract. Right. But, you know, he could have held up the Patriots and, and but probably would have won fewer Super Bowls. And, oh, by the way, he was married to a woman who was making more money than he was for a good chunk of that time that he was uh, the face of the National Football League. So nobody's going to throw a pity party for Red. No, Tommy I don't Lee. think so. Nothing wrong marrying up, Jody. You got to marry up sometimes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I know you did uh, books by he and uh, Brady and Manning together. I don't know if mm -hmm. you talked to him recently or not. 
Is he at peace with his decision? We know he retired, unretired last year. He's done now, right? You you got to read on him as to whether there is a change of heart coming in the next month or so. Oh, I don't think he's changing his mind this time. Um, and the reason for that is I think he's very realistic about the way he played last year. And I remember in 2014 when someone said, how are you going to know it's a good time to retire? And I know this, this answer has kind of made the round since he retired. He says, I know I'm going to, it's time to retire when I suck. And I mean, those were his words. And I'm not going to go so far as to say that he sucked last year. No, he didn't. But he, he did not play. I mean, his numbers were astronomical yards and completions, but that's because they couldn't run the ball. And, you know, I saw him play a lot of games last year and he just wasn't the same player. At the, at the first sign of uh, pressure, I thought he either threw the ball in the dirt or he went down. He wasn't hanging in there like he had, trading a big play for a hit like he had in the past. Uh, I didn't think he was as accurate with his throws. For some reason, he just lacked chemistry with Mike Evans all last season, which was so bizarre because they already played two years together. Um, I, I don't see him... I see him living in Miami where his kids are going to be. And um, if he was going to play anywhere, it would be with the Dolphins. I don't think the Dolphins are interested anymore. They were for the last couple of years. Um, I think he's going to take a year off from football, um, be around his kids. And he's got so many business interests that will keep him busy. Um, I, I just really, it's a long way of saying, I, I think he's done. And I'm glad for that too, because I just didn't think he was the same player last year. Yeah, you know, with Tom retiring, it just opens the floodgates for people to say, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is the new face of the NFL, which I believe mm -hmm. he is. Um, you know, he's the, you know, he's the new GOAT. You know, can he catch Tom Brady? You hear all those different narratives. Um, with this Super Bowl, his second Super Bowl, winning mm -hmm. two out of the three Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs, two league MVPs, multi-time All-Pro, Patrick Mahomes is on pace for an already, some say, well, some say already a Hall of Fame career. Um, what's been your evaluation of Patrick Mahomes' career thus far? And do you believe that he can potentially catch Brady? And also, do you believe that if he retired today, he kind of has a Hall of Fame resume already? It's kind of a three-part question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if Jody would tell you at our age, you're going to have to probably give me those questions one at a time. <laughs> My apologies, my apologies. <laughs> Let me get a pen out here. And write no, really. I, I should have been writing those down. But I love talking about this part of it. it can Patrick Mahomes catch Tom Brady? And, and this is my answer to that. If anybody who's playing today can catch Brady, it's certainly Mahomes. First and foremost, because he's got two already and he's been to three Super Bowls. The reason I don't think that he will is when you look at all the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, they're all in the AFC. Tom had to get by one guy every year, and that was Peyton Manning. Manning yeah. Now he's got to get by Herbert, who hasn't even gone very far in the playoffs yet. You know, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. I'm forgetting somebody here for sure. Trevor, Trevor Lawrence is great. Trevor Lawrence. Okay, there you go. Um, so not only has, does he now have to win – his division because that gives you the best opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. But then he's going to be facing all these guys. Just look at what he had to do 
to get to the Super Bowl. He had he had to beat Trevor Lawrence and um, and Joe Burrow, and then he gets to the Super Bowl and had to beat Jalen Hurts, you know, a runner up for the MVP. So just getting to the Super Bowl is much more of a challenge, I think, than Brady ever faced. And Brady would not have gotten to the Super Bowl the last three years if he stayed with the Patriots. I'm fairly certain of that. And he took advantage of going to the when he went to the NFC. You know, uh, he had, he had to get past in the in his Super Bowl year. He had to get past uh, Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, but he had the advantage that year of playing. That was the pandemic year where he didn't face a full house in the Superdome and he didn't face a full house in Lambeau Field, you know, which would have created a much different atmosphere and a much more difficult situation for him. But, you know, for the most part, for the 20 years of his career, at least the first 15 or so before Peyton retired, it was really just one guy he had to get past for the most part. And because... um, because Patrick faces so many quality quarterbacks in the AFC. Um, I think it's much tougher. I know that was one of the questions. Hit me with two and three. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, no, that, that that satisfied me right there. Okay. That, that, that was great. Uh, I, I remember one of them. Hey, non-senior moment for Jody McDonald. Thank you very <laughs> All much. Right. Is Mahomes already a, a Hall of Famer? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, blows out his knee tomorrow, can never play football again, breaks his hip, whatever, can't play. Did he do enough so far? And to add to that, term career to be a Hall of Fame. Oh no, Dan, I'm not going to remember your part now. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, uh, really quickly, yeah, Terrell yeah. Davis made it to Hall of Fame. Only yeah, played that's what? Exactly, eight. Tone, it's exactly what I was going to say. If Terrell Davis is in uh, with four good seasons, and he got in because of his two playoff runs, one Super Bowl MVP. If Terrell Davis is in, then if if Patrick Mahomes announces tomorrow he's retiring. In my opinion, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I only wish good health for Patrick because I want to see what he can do uh, and how much Andy and Brett Veach can keep that team intact. Uh, I want him to have the best shot to be as great as he can be. And the two factors are his health and, and the quality of the players around him. He proved this year he can win without an elite receiver, True. you know, other than Travis Kelsey. Travis he Kelsey. did. They did not replace Tyreek Hill. I mean, they they put together some nice pieces around him. And who knows what Kadarius Tony will become if he can stay healthy because the Giants drafted him thinking he was going to be Tyreek Hill. They just, you know, they just couldn't keep him on the field and they got fed up with him. And you saw what he can do in that punt return. Uh, he had a couple of games for the Giants last year, particularly in New Orleans and Dallas, where he was dynamic and they just couldn't keep him on the field. So he's the kind of player, and he's on that rookie contract for another few years. That with a full training camp in Kansas City, you know he can give him that weapon. But uh, I, I think if there's anybody playing today that can be Brady, it's Mahomes, and he's got a head start on everybody because he's got the two championships already. Agreed. And I thank Tone for taking the question that direction because now it leads directly into my next question. Great. Um, I don't like agreeing with Deion Sanders, and he's an obnoxious jerk most of the time. Um, but I think he's actually got some legs to stand on here. Uh, who do you have a problem with on the Hall of Fame class this year? Yeah, that's <laughs> I knew you were going there. That's where I'm going. All right, tell um, me who you have a problem with. You know how big a Klecko guy I am, and I'm ecstatic that he finally got in. And he went all the years that never got in the front door. He had to come in the side door. Who the hell cares? He's in. 
and you know how big a Klecko guy I am, mm. but nine more guys this year. It seems like the final five finalists get in en masse every year. The senior slash contributor went to a pretty big class of four this year, so it is a big class. Is it just too easy to get into the Hall of Fame? Dion, of course, being the loudmouth that he is, overstates it, and you, you need an upper level and a lower level, and he comes off like the puppet jerk he is. But I think underlining, he's got at least a, a legitimate point. Are we getting too many large classes of Hall of Famers, and is it bringing down the overall quality of the Hall of Fame a little bit? No, I don't think so. And if Dion okay. says it, I automatically disagree with it. Oh, I, I didn't go that far. I disagree with him, not as far as you. Think about this. There's been about, I don't know the exact number, twenty to 25,000 players in NFL history, including the coaches, um, general managers, owners, contributors. There's about 370 in the Hall of Fame. Now, I used to be really good in math. Tone, you're a lot younger, so you're probably really good in math still. I'm still trying to stay sharp. I'm still trying to stay sharp. Trying. 370 out of 25,000 to me doesn't necessarily mean we're putting too many in. Um, the reason there were three seniors, and there'll be three seniors for each of the next two years, we have such a backlog of seniors who, for whatever reason, didn't get in as modern era candidates that really are deserving. And I put Joe Klecko definitely in that category. I don't know how he went to 20 years as a modern era candidate without getting in. I wasn't on the committee at that point. But trust me, when we narrow it down to the final 15, it is a really difficult decision to cut it to 10 and then even harder to cut it to five. And there are some good players that are in the queue waiting to get in um, that I think deserve it. I would have a really hard time, objectively speaking here, of arguing against any of the five guys that got in this year. I'm talking about the modern era guys. Um, I, I, I'd like to know if, of those five guys, who do you either think didn't deserve to get in ever or who, who should have had to wait longer? You yeah, know, I got Gary. no problem with the first timers. That's for damn sure. No, I mean Joe Thomas and Darrell Rivas, I mean Zach Thomas, um, Demarcus Ware. Um, who am I forgetting? God. Um, oh, Ron, yeah. Uh, Rondé Barber got in. Rondé Barber. I'm sorry. Yeah, Rondé Barber. Um, yeah, my my only knock on Rondé is I thought Eric Allen was as good as Rondé Barber, and we're still waiting on him. Um, you thought who was? I'm sorry. Eric Allen. Oh, Eric Allen. Okay. Well, that's your Philly bias. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, guilty as charged. Philly bias. But, oh, by the well, way, don't you remember Raiders Rondé, of the Saints. It was pretty damn good there, too. Well, don't you don't you remember uh, Rondé running back that uh, pick yeah, six yeah, against yeah, the yeah. Eagles in the championship game? He made it into the Hall of Fame on the backs of an interception. Well, he had oh, a, good job, Gary. Way to rub salt in the wounds to the bleeding at the uh, Eagles fans for uh, the Sunday loss to the, the Chiefs. Thanks, bud. Yeah, well, sorry. Uh, Rondé right. had, had a lot of touchdowns in his career. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but when I when I heard it uh, this year, when it was brought up in the conversation, it really 
makes you think. Plus, you know, he said he had a lot of sacks. Sacks. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I think the sacks are what got him in, and that was kudos and credit to his coordinator who let him blend yeah. from the. Yeah. But I, I just think this, there's so many guys that are deserving of being in. You know, I know when you turn around and you look at baseball and they put one guy in, and um, Scott Rowland, I think if you're going to make an argument of too many guys getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame, this year would be the argument because, yeah. I mean, I'm a big baseball fan, as you know, Jody, and I never looked at Scott Rowland and said, I'm watching a future Hall of Famer. Nor did I. Well, yeah, I, when, I can put my Philly bias aside on that one and tell yeah. you, rolling yeah. close, but no, he's just short for me and he's going to go in. So, yeah, that's yeah. why I asked the question. That's why I think Dion has at least got a leg to stand on well, in I making think we, the point. What Dion's getting hung up on is the is the total number. Um when you're looking at the five modern era guys, I think they're all extremely deserving. But it makes it seem like we're putting so many in when you add in the three seniors and the contributor. You go, wow, nine guys. You know, that's a lot. And it is a lot. Hall of Fame clash, yeah. But it's really, it, you know, it's, it's five by the modern era committee. It used to be uh, two seniors and a contributor. And then the next year was one senior and two contributors. And we decided there were much more deserving seniors than there were contributors after we put after we established that um, category a few years ago, because they all used to be grouped together with the modern guys. Um, and we, we've kind of I don't want to say run out of really qualified coaches and contributors, but I think the ones that are deserving to be in are now in and um Maybe on the contributor coach side, we can put them back in the modern uh, category so we don't guarantee a spot there every year. As far as the seniors, I'm good for another two years of putting three in. Um, we get a list of 150 guys to start with, and I don't have a hard time narrowing it down to 25 and then to 15. But you can, there's been some strong cases made. For, for some of these seniors that are still waiting. Gary, I want to uh, uh, take a slight pivot. Um, okay. You you know, you've, you've covered this game, like I said before, you covered it for a long time. You've written uh, many books covering this game. And you've uh, most notably covered one of the most prolific um, rivalries uh, in, the, in the NFL, and that's the, uh, the Brady and Manning era. Is there any rivalry that you see today that has potential to being maybe on par with the Brady Manning or maybe even coming close or potentially exceeding it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something to look forward to. And first of all, it has to be two guys who are playing in the same conference because what makes the rivalry great is when they meet in the playoffs. So I think you have the beginning of one now between Mahomes and Joe Burrow because they've met in the playoffs in the AFC championship game two years in a row. Mm -hmm. I would throw Josh Allen in there because, um, you know, he's now played against uh, Patrick twice in the playoffs and against Burrow once. Those are the three guys whose teams look like they're built to last as much as a team can be built to last in this era. Uh, that you each year for the next few years, I think we're going to project each of those three teams to be in the playoffs, which obviously increases the odds that they're going to meet uh, in the playoffs. But also, 
the way the NFL formula scheduling is set up, where if you're not playing a certain division each year within your conference, you're all some of the wild card games are the first place teams in the conference that you'll play. So, you know, next year we will have Mahomes and Burrow and and Mahomes and Josh Allen and Josh Allen and, and Burrow. So it gives them an opportunity to build on that. Brady and Manning played 17 times. Uh, Brady led it 11-6. Manning led it 3-2 to two in the playoffs, and he won the last three meetings between the two of them in the playoffs, which were all in AFC championship games. So whereas it was one-sided for Brady in the total numbers in the playoffs, which is what we all really remember, the last three times they met with the Super Bowl on the line, once when uh, Peyton was in Indianapolis and twice when he was in Denver and Tom being obviously in New England all three times, Peyton won all three of them. And then he went on to win two Super Bowls, his only two Super Bowls. So, I mean, that's what made the Brady Manning one really special is five times in the playoffs. And Patrick is off to a great rivalry with the other two guys. So I would say, yeah, I mean, there's a good chance of a Brady Manning rivalry because uh, these are young guys who play on really good teams. Final word: Someone has to be Philip Rivers in this situation. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. know if it's, I don't know if it's going to yeah. be Josh Allen. I don't know if it's Burrow, but right now it's looking like Mahomes and Burrow are the main two, and uh, Allen is going. Allen is on track to being that that odd man out that that third wheel. Yeah. I guess you'll say. Yeah, I mean, until Josh Allen gets to the Super Bowl, yeah, he's he's Philip yeah. Rivers. That's yeah. a I love that analogy because that's what it is at this point. But these are young guys with a long way to go. In three years, we might be saying, hey, Josh Allen's got three Super Bowl championships. He's got more than Mahomes. Who knows? Yes. All right. Uh, know the uh, wait is still on for your giant book. Once uh, giant uh, tying the 86 Super Bowl great team to the rest of their lives and what transpires and how they still stay connected. How many more months we got to wait for this next Gary Myers uh, outstanding NFL novel? I wish it was just a month, but it's coming out on September 12th. As you start to say, it's called Once a Giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. And it's the most important book and the best book I've ever written. Nice. Because it's about such an important topic. Uh, Players in their 50s and 60s, and what is their life like uh, in these years after football? And whereas I decided to write about this 86 Giants team, because I know it so well, and I know what a brotherhood it became and it still is, which really makes the story unique, is how close these players are still uh, with Harry Car- Carson as their captain for life. First phone call when a pro- player has a problem is they call Harry and he rounds up the troops and they all take care of him. But it's really a story that football fans in general, you don't have to care about the Giants or like the Giants because the stories in the book really relate to the 86 Eagles or the 86 um, Cowboys, because although I'm, I didn't write about those guys, it, what, they're, what these players are experiencing, I'm sure is exactly the same um, as what those the other teams, those players of that era are experiencing. And one thing, Philly-centric, I have to tell you the story. You guys might know it, you might not. The 1984, um, I believe, USL – USFL supplemental draft. I think that was the year of the supplemental draft where the NFL kind of sensed that the USFL was going to go out of business. So rather than having like a free for all, 
they had a draft of the USFL players that like when their contracts are up or if the league folded, each team would have the rights to a player. Giants were picking third. Uh, first player pick was Steve Young. Second player picked was um, Mike Rozier. Giants are picking third. On the board was Reggie White and Gary Zimmerman. Bill Parcells stood on a table and pleaded with George Young to take Reggie White. Giants had a horrible offensive line. George Young said, nope, I'm taking Gary Zimmerman. Gary Zimmerman doesn't play for the Giants. He refuses to play. They trade him to Minnesota uh, for two second-round picks. George made very good use out of the two second-round picks. But can you, Tone DeShields, and you, Jody Mack, imagine Reggie White on the left side of the Giants line and Lawrence Taylor (laughs) on the right side of the Giants line. It came (laughs) this close to happening – and if Bill Parcells was calling the shots as he did in New England and in Dallas and later with Miami, if he was calling the shots with the Giants, 100% Reggie White would have been a New York Giant. As the football you, guy said, you can't have it all. You can't have it all. <laughs> you had you had told me that story previously. If those are the kind of stories you're going to get, uh, even Eagle fans are going to want to wow. uh, read once a Giant story of victory, tragedy, and life after football comes out. In September, one last note. Um, you accused me earlier of Philly bias. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tie it in together here. Uh, Chris, uh, uh, Phil Sims, part of your story. Yeah. I feel badly for him because he's got Chris Sims as his son who just, <laughs> if there is a bias, oh, my God, he can't get over not rating Jalen Hurts as one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. <laughs> he continues to dig a hole for himself. By saying that, oh, the easiest job in the NFL is being the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. So, hey, Jalen Hurts could do it. Gardner Minshew could do it. Well, they tried that. They went 0 2. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, when you talk to Phil before the book comes out, give him my condolences. You know, I, <laughs> I've known Chris since he was old enough to walk, and Phil used to bring him into the Giants locker room. Literally, I've known him since he's an infant. And I really like him, and I'm proud of him. Uh, what he's turned to, the career he's had, and he might have had a better career in the NFL if it wasn't for the spleen injury when he was in Tampa. But he also was standing on the table saying that Zach Wilson was better than Trevor Lawrence. So um, he's got a couple of things that are really hard to defend, but I, I do respect his opinion. Otherwise, but the one that really sticks out, and this is probably 10 or eight or 10 years ago. When he and this is Tom Brady's prime, and he, I heard him on the local radio here, Jody, saying tone and saying that Tom Brady wasn't a top five quarterback, and this was it's like 2012 or 13, right in the middle of when he's still getting to lots of Super Bowls, and I go, Chris, young man, I think you need to talk to your dad a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he's not, like not spending enough quality time with his father. He knows a little bit better. But I will say this about Jalen Hurts. When I first saw him play for the Eagles, I did not think he threw it well enough to have the success he's had now. I was completely wrong, and I'll admit it. That touchdown pass he threw to A.J. Brown. Now, I know he was trusting Brown to make that catch because he was bigger and stronger, and you, you want to give your best players an opportunity to make plays, but that was still a great throw and putting it in a perfect location. This guy's a big-time quarterback. As long as the Eagles can keep this team intact, he's going to win a Super Bowl at some point. That's why we like having Gary Myers on. Because he admits when he's wrong, unlike Chris Sims. 
Uh, GM, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on. We'll certainly have you on during the offseason when the free agency starts and everything yep. else. Thanks for hopping in with us today. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Tone, nice to, meet, nice to meet you. And you ask great questions. The man over here has something to learn from you. Oh, from the young fella. Yes. Uh, un unlike, uh, I'm learning from Jake Mack. I'm learning from Jody, no, Jody Mack. Jody is my favorite, so I'm going <laughs> to season him. He knows that. GM, always a pleasure, brother. Thanks, pal. That's Take care, Gary guys. Take care, sir. Here with us on Burge 365. All right. Uh, we're running late. Come back. Final break. We'll put a bow on the show. Stay right here with us on Burge 365. fans were cut from a different cloth born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life we believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible while we may be from different neighborhoods come sunday we are one and we will be heard Pondley hockey official partner of the philadelphia eagles Go for the beers, go for the cheers, go for the hit and the hits, go for the scene, go for the screens, go for the gallery, go for the win, go to ocean. Hi everybody, my name is Jason Lombardi, I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech we offer three major services, the first one being basement waterproofing, the second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you're having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. My name is uh, Fran Solano, and I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. Appreciate you hanging with us, streaming on Birds 365. 
We thank both of our guests, Jeff Mosher in hour one, Gary Myers in hour two. Both were uh, great. We thank them much. Uh, just to wrap things up, it is official. Uh, Shane Steichen is the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, that has been made official. I'll now predict that even if Gannon's going to get the job, we're not going to find out about it for three or four days because the Cardinals are going to want the limelight. The Colts had now have it because they're going to make an announcement with Steichen. So um, they're going to be the center of attention. There's only the two head coaching positions left. So one of them will be the main focus of concentration NFL Network, ESPN, uh, when it comes to NFL stories, the next 48 hours. So the Cardinals will wait, but it could be both legal coordinators coming off the board going elsewhere next year. And we'll be here to talk about it tomorrow. Tone, outstanding job out of you filling in for Johnny Mac today. Thank you very much, bud. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Grateful to you, as always, Joey. Learning from the best. Our pleasure. And, uh, yeah, McMullen probably just going to bed right about now. He had a uh, <laughs> late-night flight coming back, red-eye from the West Coast. He, I hope he did the Uber thing that he didn't get in the car and drive after that. John works hard, man. Listen, John, I, if only the people knew, man. John is a grinder. Johnny Mac grinds with the best of them. And uh, he'll get a good day sleep, not night sleep, day sleep today. And then be here with us on Birds 365 tomorrow morning in 2 and 2. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.